Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Last week, last week was powerful. If you were here, we celebrated Freedom Sunday. Uh, Want to shine light on the evil of modern day slavery and say there are, there are millions and millions and millions of people who are not living in freedom today, but are in bondage. And as we worship the God who brings freedom, we recognize that he doesn't just bring a spiritual freedom. Like, he doesn't just speak to our hearts. He speaks to us where we are in this physical world. And our God is a God of justice. Our God is a God of freedom. And he brings freedom to captives, both captives of sin and captives in the here and now uh, held in bondage. We want to shine light on that. And we, we want to follow our God in the path of justice to say if there are ways, and there are, that we can get engaged in the fight for freedom, we want to do that. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to go back to our website. We have a page uh, on Freedom Sunday that we're continuing to build to say if you want to get engaged, here are some ways that you can learn here are some ways that you can have your eyes open. Here are some ways that you can have your heart tugged at to see some of the stuff that God cares about. We could meet him in that and get engaged. Uh, everything from uh, thinking about how you shop and the uh, kind of the connections that go all the way back to the people who are making that and what kind of conditions are they in. And am I buying something that fuels a demand that keeps people trapped? Or am I buying something that enables somebody to be empowered and free. And there are ways to get involved with that in fair trade and in international justice mission of of looking for people and finding people who are trapped. And so I want you to go to our website because uh, because you can see and then you can engage from there on all kinds of levels. Our job is to shine light in a dark world because our God is light. And as we're made in his image, we become light like he is. We're in a series that we're calling I Am, looking at the names of God. And our desire is that we would see God. Our first desire is to say, God, show us who you are. Like Beth said this morning, we have have all kinds of different ideas about God that are wrong, and the enemy loves that. The devil will continually plant lies and doubts uh, in our minds. And even after we know Jesus, that continues to come. Doubts come into our minds. And the more we're able to understand and know the character of God in all of his brilliance, that leads us to a place of deeper and deeper and deeper worship. That we get to see God. And we don't want to just, as we look at these Old Testament names of God, we don't want to just sit in the Old Testament and say, God, that's what you were like. We want to look through the lens of the Trinity to say, God, you still are. You don't change. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are Elohim, the Creator God, the strong and mighty God. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are the Holy God. You are altogether not like us. And we bow before you. And yet, as the Holy God, you are also Yahweh, the Jehovah, You are the God who is always present, ever present, everywhere and every when, if you want to say it that way. There is no time or place when God is not present. He's Yahweh, and he shows himself to us. When he calls his name, I am, that's I am always present and with you. And today we're going to take a look at another name, and I want to start just by backing up to say, if you are in a place this morning or if you have ever felt thrown out, this message is for you. If you feel or have ever felt worthless, this message is for you. If you have felt or do this morning used or worthless, or lost, or running away, or cast out, or alone, or isolated, or rejected, 
or tired or weary or thirsty. Today's message is for you. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis 16. We're going to find our first uh, minor character in the Bible. Like, we've been introduced to giants. We've been introduced to heroes. We've been introduced to great uh, people who follow God. Not perfect people, right? They make all kinds of mistakes, and we're going to see that even today. But we're introduced to somebody who wouldn't be a likely hero. And yet God shows up in the story. Genesis 16, we'll read this, and then I want to back up just to tell a little bit about how we got to this place in Genesis 16. We're going to read the first six verses to start out this morning. Genesis 16 starts, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived... She, Hagar, looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So, if you know the story of Genesis, God creates everything and everybody, and He creates us to be in community with Him, and we run away. Believing lies, we kind of take it into our own hands and say, Now I'm going to live my own. I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to take what I want. And we run away from God, and there's distance, and the garden perfection. Uh, fades. And generation and generation and generation later, people are lost not knowing who God is and out of uh, out of everybody God calls Abram who later has his name changed to Abraham and he says you will become the father of many nations. Now what does the father of many nations need in order to do that? He needs kids, right? And Abraham, uh, at that time, Abram and Sarai have no kids, and yet they believe God and said it's credited to them as righteousness. Their faith became their righteousness as they believed what God said he was going to do. But years go by, years go by, and Abram and Sarai have no kids, and they begin to doubt, and the enemy begins to feed lies into them say what God said wasn't true. Or, you know what, I think you better take this into your own hands. You have to start getting creative in order to make God's promise good. Sarai, I think, also um, is the victim of um, circumstances. So in the day, in the day that they lived in, a wife could be divorced for not producing children for her husband. They didn't know all the ins and outs and the birds and the bees of like what happens at conception. They thought a man plants a seed, it grows, right? All a woman has to do is provide fertile ground. That was their understanding. And when a woman couldn't provide that, that was enough to dismiss her. That was enough to send her away. That was enough to say, I'm going to divorce you. And so I think Sarah has all kinds of guilt and shame that she's feeling, and she starts to say, God may not be protecting me. I have, to, I have to start to get creative. And so she legally is able to take one of her servants and say, I want you to be a surrogate. And she doesn't ask. She tells. Now, whose child is this going to be? Sarai's or Hagar's? 
Sarai's. It's not Hagar. It's like, all I need from you is your womb. That's all I need. Uh, thank you for serving me well. And the Bible uses pretty crude language. The ESV here, it says, she offers Hagar, and she says, go in my servant. That's just simple language. That's not like go into her bedroom. The NIV says sleep with her. The ESV just says go in. That's not even human. That's not even human. But that's what happens when we find ourselves like up against a wall is we start to say, I, I need to climb and I'll push people under if, if I can find security doing it. Sarai offers Hagar to Abram and this is one of those moments this is one of those moments where uh, a man fails to stand up where he's just passive where he says alright I'll go along with it and so Abram does what Sarai is asking him to do and then as soon as the deed is done and as soon as they see signs of life Hagar starts to have this battle inside because I can only imagine that she's feeling used I can only imagine what is going on in her to say you can't do that to me and she starts to treat Sarai with contempt she starts to say I think I'm favored over you Look, God couldn't do this in you, and now he's done it in me. That must mean that I'm favored, and that must mean that I'm the number one wife. And so this battle between the two women starts to rage. And Sarai goes back to Abram and says, God did this to me, which, depending on your perspective, may have been true. God is holding out on the promise. He's saying, it will come. Trust in me, it will come. You don't have to create this for yourself. So it's true at one level. But the, when she says it, it doesn't sound like she's making a truth statement, right? It sounds like she's making a blame statement. God did this, and you're at fault, Abram. It's your fault. You did this too. And Abram, again, is just passive. He says, uh, I, I mean, do what you want. Whatever. Whatever, do what you want. And Sarai starts to say, I'm going to take it to the, to the next level. It says, you know, treats her poorly, treats her with contempt. We don't even get the picture of what that looks like. The war that is raging is so bad that Hagar flees. Hagar flees. And it says she's an Egyptian servant. Lots of people think she flees to go home to go back to her homeland. Now, that's not like here to Verona. That's not here to Cottage Grove. She flees, and this is a journey that she can't make on her own. This is hundreds and hundreds of miles, right? It says when God actually meets her, it's probably 150 miles away. 150 miles since she started fleeing, and God lets her walk that far before showing up. What's he doing? You, you ask, are there any innocent characters in this story? I say, if you're asking, are there any perfect characters in this story, the answer is no. Right? But Hagar is set up as innocent. She didn't ask for this. She didn't choose any of this. She doesn't have a choice. Some people don't have the choice. They're in bondage. They're oppressed, and when somebody says, you have to do this, they just have to do it. She's not perfect, but in this sense, she is innocent. She's used for somebody else's pleasure. She's used for somebody else's gain, and then she's discarded. You ever felt that? You ever felt like you're at your wit's end? Like... All I can do is run away. All I can do is pull up the covers and hide. I want to 
get out of here. And I don't know where to go. And you start off on an impossible journey to a destination you will never reach. It's too far. But it's better than staying there. And you just run. God shows up in verse 7. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? Like sometimes God asks questions not so he can get information, but so we can have a relationship. So we can have a conversation, right? You think God doesn't know where she came from? No. Or where she's trying to get to? He knows exactly what those are, but he's engaging. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affection, affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall, ne- he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Hagar runs, and she's 150 miles away maybe from where she started, and she's stopped at a spring, and God shows up. It says, the angel of the Lord, and then yet uh, Hagar's response is, I've seen God. And throughout the pages of the Old Testament, often when the angel of the Lord shows up, a, a lot of people, and I agree with them, say, this This is the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up on the scene. This is Jesus before he's born showing up on the scene. So the angel of the Lord isn't like some white dude with wings. The angel of the Lord is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God, always present, showing up on the scene and introducing himself to somebody who's running. And he shows up at the spring. Jesus shows up at the spring and he says, where are you going? Where have you come from? This is a long, hard road. And then he says, return. Like, what? One, that's 150 miles in the opposite direction. You could have met me at mile five, right? 150 miles just to go back to that? I'm not interested. Then he meets her and he says, through this conversation, this child will be yours. You will be the mother. This child will be yours. This child is not going to be taken from you in that way. It's not going to go down in the books as Sarai's child. This is your child. And he, he said, I want you to name him Ishmael. Ishmael means God listens. God hears. And so he's already showing up, revealing himself to say, I hear you. I hear your pain. I see where you are. I'm meeting you at this well. I'm not just wandering around and I showed up because I needed a drink. I saw you and I came to you. And I want you to know that I see you. And Hagar, this is the only instance of a person in the Bible naming God, right? Often God reveals himself and says, you will know me by this name. This one is a little different. He allows somebody to speak about their interaction with him. And he says, she says, you are the God who sees me. The ESV here says, you are the God of seeing. And two things are going on. You are the God of seeing. It says, you see everything, God. 
And you are the God of my scene. Like you are the God that I see. You are the God of my vision. You showed up and I saw you. Both, both are true. Both could be interpreted that way to say it, it, uh, either message is valid. You are the God who sees me and you are the God that I see. Both of them are there. I've seen you. You have seen me. I am not alone. Does God fix it? No. He doesn't take all the pain away. He doesn't say everything is going to be fancy from here on out. Everything is going to be smooth from here on out. But I want you to know that I see you. I want you to know that I hear you're crying. I want you to know that you are not alone. God is not a God where you have to go through the motions with him. Like you just have to get up and do the God thing, do the religion thing, and like I'll follow him because I know you're real. I don't feel you, but like I'm just going to go through the motions because that's what I've always known. God is not interested in that. He wants us to know him. And he wants us to know that we are known. He wants us to see him. And he wants us to know that we are seen. You see this in the Trinity. So Jesus Jesus shows up here. The angel of the Lord shows up. And uh, it's not the only time that Jesus sees somebody. If you go to the New Testament and the Gospels, the Gospel account... All over the place. Jesus is seeing people. That's what he's doing. He walks up to Nathaniel and he says, I saw you sitting under the tree. Now I want, I want to introduce myself to you. I saw you before we met. I saw you. And I want you to know me. Jesus sees the blind and the crippled. He doesn't just walk by. He allows himself to be interrupted. To see them. And he gives them vision. He allows them to see also. Jesus sees the hard hearts of the Pharisees. And he says, like, I want to challenge you on this. I see the way your hearts are. And I don't want it to stay that way. And sometimes the best way to love somebody is to straight up get in their face and challenge them. And he does that with the Pharisees. Jesus isn't against the Pharisees as people. Jesus is against them as bullies them as beating others down. But Jesus loved the Pharisees. He just said the weapon of love is going to be in their face and calling it what it is. They want to come to me. They are welcome. And I will crack away at whatever stands in the way. I don't want to help them see. He sees Zacchaeus climbing up a tree just to see Jesus. And he says, I see you. We're having dinner at your place tonight. Zacchaeus, you saw me? I'm not even worthy of being seen. I've cheated so many people. And in the process of being seen, Zacchaeus is changed. He's transformed. He says, I want to now be known for generosity. I want to pay back the people that I've cheated. And I'm changed because Jesus saw me. He didn't just walk past. He could have. I don't deserve it. But he didn't. He saw me. Jesus sees the sick. In one of the most moving places in the Gospels, Jesus' good friend Lazarus dies. And he shows up at the tomb, and Lazarus' sisters are weeping. And Jesus sees what is going on. He sees them, and he sees the tomb. And Jesus doesn't fix it. That's not his first thing. His first thing is to see, and in seeing, he weeps. He's not like God, so like, I'm just going to put on a show, because that's what people do. They get get sad when bad stuff happens, and so I'll cry because they will, and that'll be like good for our relationship. Jesus is moved. Jesus is moved. When he sees people in agony, he's moved by that, and he weeps. I don't think it's a show. I think it's real. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. He has the power to do what he wants to do. Jesus sees people. Jesus sees women. 
which is uncommon, completely uncommon in that day. And even today we have something, I think, to see and to learn about this. Jesus sees women as valuable, as equal. He sees them. And he meets them. He sees a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And because of that, has been pushed out of society, has been an outcast, has been like isolated and lonely. And he sees her and he touches her at risk of being cast out himself. Jesus touches her and he sees her. And then the healing takes place, right? He doesn't speak healing. He reaches out first. And the healing follows. Jesus sees the woman caught in adultery, who was not the only guilty party, right? And probably, definitely, was the less guilty party. And yet the one that had the accusation come out. And he sees her. And he looks her in the eyeballs. And he says, I will not condemn you. I want your life changed she's able to rise up because Jesus sees her. Jesus sees the woman at the well at midday walking through Samaria and he sits down and he asks her for a drink. Now, I love how the Bible makes connections. I love how the Bible makes connections. When we get introduced to Hagar and she flees, she goes 150 miles away and where does she stop? She stops at a source of water. She stops at a spring And she's there to find refreshment for her thirst. And Jesus shows up. And he says, I see you. You fast forward to the Gospels. I think it's a mirror image of what's going on with Hagar. He sees a woman at a well, at a source of water, who is isolated and cast out and is thirsty for something she doesn't even know exists. And he says, I see you, and I want to give you something that will quench every thirst you have. By the way, can I have a drink? Would you give me a drink? It was shocking that he sees her. The Spirit is active. Holy Spirit is active in seeing people. He gives people visions. Like you're the God of vision. You give me visions for people. He gives Peter a vision of Cornelius, who's a Gentile at the time, and the Holy Spirit is just kind of like moving through the land with the news of the gospel. And it was held tight for Jews, and God wanted to break out of that. And he shows up in a dream to Peter and he says, you need to hear that Cornelius is calling for the gospel and I want you to go to meet him. And Peter does and the Spirit is helping Peter see. The Spirit slams Paul to the ground, Saul at the time, and he says, I want you to see me. I want you to look me in the face and I want you changed. And Paul's life changes because he sees the He sees the God who sees. The creator God, the holy God, the ever-present God is the God who sees. Not off doing God business, who knows where, that we couldn't ever imagine. Like, what are you doing? His business is seeing people. That's a way of application think that grows our worship that the creator God the mighty God the holy God the God who is ever present sees people sees individuals sees groups of people sees you and he sees me like how do you have time for me and he says I've got all the time in the world because I don't exist in time and my eyes and my heart are on you you are seen by God And I think that pulls us into a place of worship. Oh my God, how big are you? You see every one of us, and it doesn't diminish that you see every one of us. Wow. And I think we move from worship to a place where we say, I want you to hear. God wants you to see him. God wants you to see him. He wants to be seen 
by you. And he wants you, you, you to know that he sees you. He sees you. And he knows you. And he loves you. You may need that this morning. Does God see me? And I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the answer is just yes. There is so much devastation in our world right now. Hurricanes, there's wreaking havoc on lives in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico. A shooting in Las Vegas. Modern day slavery that we talked about last week. Injustice is everywhere. Devastation is all around. And God is not oblivious. In our church, devastation is present. I don't think... I don't think that we are in a place where we should talk about the God who sees without also recognizing what is happening here. Recognizing what is going on. As God calls us to know that we are seen, as we're made in his image, he also calls us to be people who see. People who are looking for people, looking for what is going on, and not looking to fix it, but looking to meet people where they are. And so this morning, rather than just talking about the God who sees and worshiping him in that, I want to create an invitation for you to be seen. I already know some of the stuff going on. Keith's sister-in-law, Jolene, just got diagnosed with cancer and, and all kinds of other complications ripping through the family. And we don't come from a posture of like doubt. We know God is present. But that doesn't diminish pain. That doesn't diminish this feeling of being devastated by something. John John's daughter, uh, 27-year-old daughter, went missing last week and was found dead. To recognize the God who sees is not to skip over pain or pretend it isn't there. It's to engage. It's to lean in. God sees you, John. I'm going to invite Jim Thompson to come up. And Jim is going to lead us in a time of seeing, a time of praying, a time of stopping. There's the mic right here. Um, I love your heart. Um, I love your heart. (laughs) All right. Um, I'm going to turn it over to him, and he's going to do it. He's going to lead us in a time. It's one thing to talk about and learn about the God who sees. It's something else to lean in and experience the God who sees, even when things feel broken. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for those wonderful words. And I'd like to ask the worship people, we mentioned if we could come and
we're just going to have a little bit of an altar time. Now, I know it's a wonderful day outside. The weather, I, I love wonderful days. I love sunshine. You can ask my wife. They make me happy. But what I want to ask us today is let's come on in to the temple, so to speak, and let's come into the holy place and let's meet with God. Okay? So let's come on in and meet with God because God is here to meet with you. And you may say, well, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if I feel good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you feel. In a way, it doesn't even matter what you think. It matters what God thinks, and it matters what God feels. And God is here. I want to tell you a little something about God's heart, Pastor mentioned. When you study the heart of God in this Old Testament, his heart is continually moved in tender compassions for you. God's heart is continually in a motion of tender compassions for you. He understands your pain. He knows what hurts you. And he is an emotion in his heart for you. He wants, he longs, he yearns for you to bring that to him. That's why he met Hagar in the wilderness. It's a beautiful thing because God saw her. But what I love so much is that she saw God see her. So God sees you. But in Jesus' name, we want you to see that he is seeing you. As she said. So I'd like everyone just to stand. We're going to go in a little prayer, a little time of worship. Just go ahead and stand. You don't, you don't have to, but I'd, I'd like you to if you're okay with that. And we're going to pray. And these, these two men... Are you okay? I, are you okay coming up and letting us pray for you? If you're not, it's okay. We'll pray wherever you want to be prayed for. Hey, but we're family here, right? And Keith, why don't you come in and stand for Jolene? I know Jolene, and I heard the news, and I was, I was kind of devastated by it. Jolene is a tough lady. She's a good lady. She is a character lady. And this is awful. And if there's anyone who'd like to come up and pray for Jolene, and we're going to pray for John, why don't you go ahead and come up if you feel burned in your heart. Don't, don't, let's don't be emotional. Let's don't be because we're supposed to. If you just feel a burden in your heart spiritually, in Jesus' name, we want that burden. And we're going to pray for these people. And then we're going to pray for others. Okay, so let's go ahead and pray now. Uh, Keith's going to stand in for Jolene. John's going to stand in for John. And we're all going to stand in for them both. Praise God in Jesus' name. And Father, we do come to you in the name of Jesus. And we bring to you Jolene as Keith stands proxy for her. And this devastating cancer diagnosis, the prognosis isn't good. But Father, when we look at you, we see something different. We see something as our pastor's talking about the names of God, about a God who says, I am the God that healeth thee. And Father, in Jesus' name, help us all right now in these seconds to put the eyes of our spirit on the God that healeth us. And in Jesus' name, we pray for this cancer, that it be healed, that it be gone, that it be assaulted by Jesus Christ, the healer. In Jesus' name, we stand together 
against this thing. Because that's what you asked us to do. So we do it in thy name. And God, we pray for this dear brother here, John, who hurt and lost his daughter. Father, they're so far beyond what so many of us can go in our spirits, perhaps. But it's not beyond where you went in your spirit when Jesus died. And God, together we pray with John. Oh, Father, belief in Jesus is a miracle produced only by the sheer unaided power of God. And we pray for a miracle now in John's life. Oh, Father, you are, you sent us Jesus. One of the first ways he identified himself through Isaiah was a man of suffering and sorrows, acquainted with grief. This is your territory. It's unfathomable to us. Some of the places we walk through when we walk through that valley, but it's not to you. It's not to you, Jesus. You know how to walk us through that. You know how to put something else in the hole that's in our heart that is unthinkable to lose a child. You do. And so, Jesus, we're looking to you. We're really not looking to any counseling or therapy. We're looking for a miracle produced by the sheer unaided power of God in John's life in the weeks and the months to come as Jesus walks with him. We know that you will. We know that you will. Because you said so. Hallelujah. God, there are others here today. I don't know who they are. It doesn't matter because you know. You know who they are. And God, everybody does not need to be prayed for today and shouldn't be probably. I don't know. We could all use prayer. But there are some here today. There are a few here today that even as I'm speaking right now, there's something in their heart and their spirit that's moving. There's a need for God. I think of the woman who was pressing through the crowd. She had spent all of her substance on doctors for years. It was still there. It was taking her life by degree by degree. And she pressed through the crowd. I just need to get to Jesus. Oh, she just needed to get to Jesus. Where did she get that faith? I don't know. She was desperate. She tried everything else. The Bible's careful to tell us that. There was nothing left. There was nothing left. But Jesus, she had to get to Jesus. She had to get to Jesus. And she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, who touched me? And there were dozens and scores and hundreds of people jostling him. This was the Middle East. They do that. But you knew who touched you. Because power went out of you. And she was healed. I think of blind Bartimaeus. I love blind Bartimaeus. I love Bart. I can't wait to meet him in heaven. I personally think he was in the 120 waiting for the Holy Spirit because you said, follow me. And I think he did. And he was blind and he was on the road and there was another big crowd. And they were all happy and celebrating. This was the peak of Jesus' ministry. And he yelled, Jesus, Son of David, Jesus, at the top of his voice, and the disciples told him to shut up, shuck it, shuck it. And he yelled even more, even louder. He had to get Jesus' attention. 
then it says you stopped and you looked at him and he saw you seeing him he saw you seeing him you stopped the whole thing and you asked him what can I do for you and his blind eyes were open open that's what he asked for and he followed you Jesus I don't know if there's one if there's three but there are people here that need that moment with Jesus. They need that moment. And this is the day and this is the time. And this is when it's going to happen. Because this is where the Spirit is this morning after these beautiful words spoken by our pastor. That they're going to see you seeing them. And I don't, again, care who it is or what it is. All I care is that they understand that you care. Because you see. You see. Right now as I speak, you see. May they in Jesus' name, by the help of the Holy Spirit, see that you see. So I don't know who you are. Two, three, four, one. It doesn't matter. Come on up. We're going to pray for you. Just come on up right here. We're going to pray for you. And then we're going to ask people that want to pray with you. And we'll just kind of close with that. Hey, we're family. If that's you, just step out. Come on up here and join these others, whoever it may be. Come on up. We're going to pray for you. Come on up. Anybody else? Come on up. Anybody else? Come on up. This is your time. This is your time if you know it's your time. Something inside your heart says, I'm going up. I'm going to get prayed for. I see that Jesus sees me. It's going to happen today because God is seeing me. So come on up. Come on up. You don't even need any faith. Just come on up and do the best you can. There's some of us that will have faith for you. Okay? Come on up. Come on up. And then there are some people up here that you have a burden for you want to pray with. And I want to be sure everyone gets prayed with. So if you came up to be prayed with, raise your hand so we know who's who. And others, reach out, touch them, Rob. We want people to come up here and pray. You are a prayer. (laughs) I know we're not being that Baptist today, but we're being... We're being Jesus people today. Hey, that's when I got saved, man. It was the Jesus people, man. We had a great time. We did everything. We didn't know there were rules. Praise God. Praise God. Those of you, would you just start praising God with me? Let's just start speaking the wonderful names of God. We're here, but God is here. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Wonderful God. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Oh, wonderful Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise you, God. Glory to God. We love being in your presence. Oh, we love the way you'll change the atmosphere by your presence. God, you can do anything. Oh, and you want to do anything, as Pastor said. Oh, we believe that, Jesus. Wonderful, Jesus. Praise God.
I want each of you that came up, I want you to share to someone what you wanted to pray for. And if it's something that you don't feel you can share, just say, I want you to pray for me, okay? Just share with them what it is so they can start praying for you now, specifically for that thing, okay? So just share what it is to the people that are near you, the one who's got his hand on you, who's praying for you. Just share it. I know God knows, but let them know. If you're embarrassed or whatever, don't just say, I need your prayers. It's okay. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I went up to Matt and I said, Matt, you've prayed, you've played for a thousand altar services. He said, no, two or three thousand. So we're in good hands, man. We have great music here. And I know Beth has done a lot of altar services too. I just got a good guess. Praise God. Praise God. Praise you, Thank you. 